Welcome to Journaling with Nature, the podcast for those who want to turn curiosity into wonder, a pencil sketch into a rabbit hole of discovery, a moment of stillness into a life full of joy. I'm your host, Bethan Burton. Let's open the pages of our nature journals and explore this world together. Hello, this is episode 116. Today, I'm chatting with artist Lisa Spangler. Lisa finds joy and meaning in connecting with nature through watercolour. She's inspired many people across the world through sharing the practice of creating what she calls nature spots. Lisa will explain all about nature spots during our chat, but essentially, they're a little spot of colour that represents something that she's observed in nature. It's a simple and meaningful way to capture a nature observation and make a connection with the landscape. In our conversation, we spoke about lots of different topics, including the landscapes that have been significant in Lisa's life, colour mixing and how different pigments behave on the paper, and how recovering from an injury was part of Lisa's development as an artist. Let's listen. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me. I am excited to talk with someone who loves colour and watercolour and nature as much as I do. Thank you for being here. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honour to be here. So you're a self-identified prairie girl and I'd love to hear more about your connection with the prairie. Did you grow up in this landscape? I'd love to hear about your childhood landscapes. Uh, okay, so my um, childhood landscape um, was actually in the forest. Okay. Um, and I was lucky enough to grow up in kind of a rural area. And I basically had the run, like I would leave the house after breakfast and I wouldn't come back home until it was time for dinner. Yes. And it was, um, you know, it, it was a different time then. It was pretty safe. Um and uh, I grew up, uh, you know, in the, my, there was a special spot that I had um, with pine trees. And I used to like to go um, in the pine trees and read a book or um, just like sit and think or um, draw. And um, my grandparents had a farm. Um, so I used to play with like the goats and the cows. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a huge garden. Um, and um, then we had uh, my grandparents raised corn and I mean, it was it was huge. Um, so I was always outside running around climbing apple trees. And um, then I moved to Texas um, for work after college and it was a whole nother landscape. Mm. Um, so that's when I first fi- found out about the prairie. Um, because I planted a garden, like, you know, growing up with a garden with my grandparents, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna plant some flowers and, um, you know, trees. And I would water the plants before I went to work. And then they would all be drooping (laughs) and sad by the time I came home at night. And I said, well, you know, what is supposed to be here in Mm. this landscape? Because I was planting things from where I grew up in Ohio mm-hmm. um, and uh, it just totally wasn't working. So that's when I learned that um, this area where I live now was prairie. So I was like, aha, so I'm going to try to plant some prairie plants and um, they weren't available in the nursery. Like you couldn't, um, you couldn't just go to the store and, you know, buy this plant. It's a lot better nowadays. Um, but then, uh, you couldn't find this. So I started, I was like, well, how can I get my hands on these plants? Um, so there's, uh, a native plant society of Texas. Um, and I think there are probably other countries probably where you are have mm-hmm, mm-hmm. native plant society. So I started going to meetings and that's when I learned about, um, we have like incredible wildflowers here and um, every spring and also again in the fall, there's like two seasons. And um, so I started going on these plant rescues 
<laughs> Tell me about a plant uh, rescue. What what so does that involve? Pl- yeah, so plant rescue, um, the city where I live is like really fast growing. And whenever there would be a construction project, so they would be building like a new like police station or office, um, we would get permission, the Native Plant Society would, and we would go and um, dig up plants and rescue them because you know plants (laughs) yeah so plants don't have feet so we would um, collect seeds and um and then uh you know bring them back and i planted some in my yard Mm -hmm. and some in um school projects or um there were a lot of restoration projects that i worked on too where um you know like a big housing development would go in and then um, we would plant these um, prairie plants because um, they're adapted to this yeah. the whole climate. Once they get established, um, which is something I always have to tell people, you know, you can't just stick a seed in the ground mm-hmm. and uh, or just if you've dug up a plant and then you know plop it, <laughs> it needs a in bit the of ground. Care. Yeah, you have to give it a little pampering at first, um, but then it, it totally takes, yeah. you know, it, it will fend for itself. Um, so that's how I got into prairies. And um, prairies are so different from the forest, too, because... Uh, Can you describe a prairie for those who haven't come across this type of ecosystem? Is it a grassland? Oh, yes. So prairies are dominated by grasses. And a healthy prairie will have a good mix of grasses and um, forbs, so wildflowers. Um, a lot of times when a field, like a, like a, a what you would think of as like a, a ranch or a rangeland, mm-hmm. um, cattle and sheep and, you know, goats, they love the forbs. So that's like their candy. <laughs> so they'll go in and uh, eat all the forbs worship the flowers. So then you're just left with the grasses. Um, so a healthy um, prairie will have um, all grasses and flowers. And you can picture them like, a, it's like been described as like a sea of grasses wow. and wildflowers and the big sky oh. overhead. And you can just picture like these flowers and grasses like waving in the wind. And um it really makes you feel small. Mm. Like when you're in the forest, you kind of, where I grew up, you kind of feel sheltered and, and protected. But when you're in the prairie, as far as you can see with there being grasses, it's just, uh, it's just amazing. I can imagine. Um, I can imagine. And there's one particular species called side oats that you have adopted. Tell me about your love of side oats. <laughs> Yeah, so um, side oats is the state grass of Texas, where I live, and it's found all over Texas. And it's a really interesting grass. It's very like architectural. Okay. Um, it has um, the little flowers, which a lot of people don't know the grasses themselves mm. have flowers. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting if you get um, like a hand lens and look at grass flowers. Um, But the side oats grass flowers are this really vibrant, like almost a neon red. Wow. Um, So they're so pretty. (laughs) And um, side oats is one of the um, four main prairie grasses as well. And um, it can actually be found all the way from Texas all the way up to Canada. Okay. So like that whole zone has has side oats so it's mm-hmm. kind of my friend um whenever I'm traveling I see side oats I'm like oh side yes. oats and that's the thing I mean when we pay attention when we take the time to sketch something or spend time with it or just yeah just be with it get to know it and study it in this way it becomes part of us it becomes a friend like you say and there's certain species yes. that I have sketched in my sketchbook that definitely are friends when I see them I get that feeling that that recogn- that feeling of recognition of someone familiar, some something that's part of you. It sounds like it's that yes. feeling. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so you are also really connected with the desert. And I'm wondering about the desert versus the prairie and how that works in Texas and, and about the land the desert landscapes that you have regular access to where you are. 
Yeah, so um, I love going out to the desert. It's about an eight hour drive okay. from where I live. Um, but I try to go as often as I can because it's another really interesting mm. landscape. So there's um, mountains and then um, uh, the desert and um, it, it's just, uh, it's just so beautiful. I feel, mm. um, I feel really connected um, to the desert. Mm -hmm. Are so. there certain things you have to do when you're painting in the desert? Like, I mean, does paint behave differently in that very, very hot landscape? Yes, that is a great question. <laughs> it really does. Um, you have to, um, I know people who paint in the cold, mm, yes. um, they, you know, you can add like gin yes. or vodka, um, <laughs> to your water. But, um, with, when it comes to, um, the desert, um, you, you, you want to have, um, well, first of all, it always helps if you can paint in the shade. Yes. <laughs> and I wear a big straw hat <laughs> and I always wear long sleeves. Yes. Um, and I try to like flip the collar yep. up so that, <laughs> so to that protect, protect your neck. Yeah. To protect my neck. And I even have, um, sun gloves. Oh, wow. Um, cause my hands have gotten burned, mm. um, painting in the desert. Um, so I have these sun gloves. They don't have, the palms don't have coverage, just okay. the backs. Okay, interesting. Um, and I, there's a lot of times I like to pre-wet the paper. So if I'm painting a cactus mm -hmm. um, and there's one paddle on the cactus, I'll work on one at a time and I'll pre-wet just the one little section, like how you do with the sky where mm -hmm. you pre-wet the paper. Mm -hmm. um, I pre-wet even small things yeah, wow. when I'm painting in the desert. Um, and uh, it really helps to keep your paints in the shade. Mm -hmm. I can't mm -hmm. stress that enough. Like if your paints are in the sun, um, they'll turn into like a gooey wow. mess. <laughs> it's amazing. I love thinking about this like different landscapes and how that changes our behavior because the because nature just just does that just forces us to do stuff sometimes <laughs> yes yes and sometimes you're painting and um when you paint one brush stroke it's dry before you can paint Amazing. the next and that's yeah it's, that's tricky that's tricky for watercolor because it's all about you know moving paint in 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 water and so you, you'll have you surely have to adapt your techniques to that condition to those conditions yes yes that's amazing I loved hearing all about your the different landscapes of that have been significant to you through your life and I'd love to go back and get to know your professional story a little you worked in the arts and crafts industry for many years and then you started your journey towards being a full-time freelance artist and I'd love to yes. talk I'd love to talk with you about this career progression and especially that big a big step towards becoming freelance. Tell, tell me about how that all unfolded for you. Yeah, so I'll, I'll back up even further. Okay. So um, my degree, I have a master's degree mm -hmm. in math and computer science. Really? And I was a software engineer um, for 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, and I worked at a big um, software company um, in the security uh, area of all things. So Lisa, like this is login, such a names, <laughs> such a login names and passwords and um, all of that kind of thing. Yeah. And it was very exacting. Mm -hmm. um, so I would sit in front of a computer all day and any chance that I got, I would um, paint or draw <laughs> um, just because, you know, if you're, if you're painting um, and you make a mistake, you can just turn the page mm -hmm. and start a new painting or a new drawing. Um, but with computers, you know, if you type one character yes. wrong, you could spend days trying to figure out your mistake, yes. <laughs> pulling your hair out. <laughs> wow. um, so um, I, while I was uh, working as a software engineer, I started entering these um, drawing contests, mm -hmm. like art contests, and I I was so surprised I actually won. 
And um, the um, marketing person there did an interview with me um, for this company where I, uh, uh, I entered. And um, she said, uh, Lisa, our uh, web person is going to be leaving. Um, she said, you're in computers. Like, do you think you could run a website? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I can, I can run a website. <laughs> Um, so I left this big um, software company and I went to work for a smaller um, company that was owned. It was like a family owned business. And um, part of the time I did the website, but part of the time I got to do um, art, yes. which was so amazing. I got to um, draw things. And then so this company um, uh, turned drawings into stamps so okay. like rubber stamps yeah um and uh so we got to you know it was so it was so cool just uh getting to have the whole left brain and right brain yeah. all as part of my job yeah. i feel so lucky that i got to do that and uh yeah so i got to develop um like stamps and uh ink for stamping wow. and um, different tools for stamping all at the same time i got to do this website so i still got to do like computer techie geeky mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah and i got to as part of my, this job i got to go to um, trade shows and um, teach people how to use the products and i just really loved you know, interacting with people and seeing the moment when, um, you know, people make art, they take the stamp, they would take the stamp and use it. Yes. And you could just see their eyes like light up, like I made this. Yes, yes. Um, so then as far as transitioning, um, I still um, maintain a website mm -hmm. for a different company. Mm -hmm. Um, and then as far as art goes, I've been exploring ways to bring that moment of excitement to everyone. Yes. Um, because I want people to have that joy that I have, you know, when you're out in nature and you're painting something and you just, you're in the zone and it's like the world just melts away and it's just like you and the cactus or like you in the sky and um, I want everyone to feel that feeling. So I started trying to think of ways um, to show people how to do that, like how to make the connection. Yes, yes, I love that. And in fact, anyone who knows, anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I'm all about feelings and that feeling of wonder is is one of life's most precious things, isn't it? When you go out and you're, like you say, just with the cactus, not anywhere else, not in your mind, not thinking of the next thing, but just there making that connection. It's so powerful and that you're, that that's your mission is, is just so delightful and, and that you're doing that through art is, is really precious. I, I'd love to hear this story about the beginnings of your watercolor journey and or, or diving into watercolor more deeply and um I think it started with an injury and yes. I'd love to hear that story because that's that's a really interesting part of your yes. history so I um dabbled in watercolor since high school mm -hmm. I had this um Crayola set yeah. of like, you know, just the little fun paints. I still actually have it um, now. And I just, I liked the feeling, like yeah. you said, you're all about feelings. Yeah. I love the feeling when your brush is um, moving on the paper and, you know, you're drawing the color, you're pulling the color across the page and the colors are blending into each other. I, I, I just love that feeling. Yeah, there's nothing um, like it, is it? Some people are scared of watercolor because they think it's hard because you can't correct as much as you can with other media. But I just I just think there's magic in watercolor because it's alive yes. and it moves and it does its own thing. <laughs> yes, magic is the word. There's yeah. this watercolor magic. So I... 
um, I wasn't satisfied with my watercolor um, skills. Mm -hmm. And so I had this injury. Um, I tore my ACL while I was on a 14 mile hike. <sighs> and I still had five miles to get oh, back. God. And um, long story short, I ended up having six surgeries oh, dear. to um, fix this. And it was such a long journey. Yeah. And I thought to myself, the first surgery, I, I thought, you know, oh, it'll be done. And then it turned out that I needed another one. So that time I was more prepared and I said, okay, I'm going to be um, inactive for a while. Like I'm going to have some time when I can't go hiking and, and I can't go out in nature like how I want to. I won't be able to just like, you know. Um, so I said, what can I do with this time that I'm going to have? I like thought of, try to think of it as like an opportunity. Yeah. So I said, aha, watercolor. <laughs> I can learn to get better at watercolor. Yeah. So that's when I got um, John Muir Laws's book. And I started going through his book um, page by page and watching all of his videos. Mm -hmm. He has so many good videos. I've learned so much from him. And um, so, yeah, so I started going. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get serious about watercolor. And I really, what he says about, you know, if you just keep doing it, you're bound to get better. So if you, <laughs> if you do it every day, you're bound to get better. So, okay. I said, okay, I'll keep, I'll keep doing this. I'll keep doing this. And then once I got to where, um, I could walk again, cause I had to have this brace for a long time. It went from my ankle up to my hip. Wow. And I had to have this brace for, I think it was like five or six weeks and just walking on crutches. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm still going to keep watercoloring. I want to keep doing it. Mm. Um, even now that I can start walking again. Um, so what I did was I, um, put together a little kit and there's this pond in the neighborhood. It's about a mile from my house. Um, and at that time it took me, gosh, it took me forever to get there. Um, but I would do a little sketch at the pond every day. Um, and then, you know, that would give me a break for my leg. Um, mm -hmm. cause it was still pretty painful. <laughs> like it, it was a struggle. Um, to get there. And yeah. then, so I would do this sketch and it, it was like, you know, the pain would, wasn't there while I was sketching yeah, wow. and it would give me this little rest and my watercolor skills were getting better. <laughs> so it was like a win, win, win situation and, um, going to the pond every day. So I did this every day for a month. I challenged myself yeah. to um, do a sketch. And I missed a couple days because it was just torrential rain. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it was just raining too hard. So those days I just did a little mm -hmm. painting in the house. Mm -hmm. um, but I learned so much from that about painting outside. Um, Cause I had never really watercolored outside mm -hmm. in a dedicated way until when I was recovering from all these leg surgeries. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just, I just really like wanted to keep up with the practice. Um, Cause it, you know, it's kind of addicting once you get started and you see how you're improving and your confidence builds like from sketching every day or like, Oh, well, I, it, it's, you know, a few days ago or a month ago, I wouldn't have tried to yes. tackle drawing this complicated flower. Yes. Um, but before you even think about it, you just dive in and, and you're drawing it. And then you're like, whoa, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing. <laughs> I love so. that. You must've gotten to know the, the landscape, that, that particular pond and its inhabitants really well over that time as well. Yes. And people always want to see pictures of this pond. They think, you know, like it's like this really great pond, but it's actually not. It's it's very urban mm -hmm. and there's concrete around it. It's like um, it's basically for water runoff um, mm -hmm. to like help manage the water flow so it doesn't flood. Um, 
there's a chain link fence around it and graffiti. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, so it's not this like beautiful place. Yeah, but that's <laughs> I mean, just, to me, it's Yeah, that's beautiful. the thing. That's the thing. That's the beauty of nature journaling is that you come to know, you come to see the beauty in the urban or in the common or in the, in the everyday. That's, that's why it's so special. Yes. Yeah. So now I've like, you know, I've been friends with some herons that are yeah. there. I see them all the time. And um, I haven't figured out the turtles. Um, sometimes there's this huge turtle party happening. There'll be like 20 or 30 turtles. And then the next day, they're not there. I'm like, wow. where do they go? Ooh, that's a nature mystery for the nature journal, isn't it? What's going on with yeah. the turtle party? I love that. Maybe yeah. someone, maybe someone who's listening will tell us the answer. I like. Yeah, that. like where do they go? Like I don't see them. And, um, <laughs> but it's, so it's been several years now that I've been going to the pond, and it probably I think it's been probably ten years now oh, that wow. I've been going there. Yeah, and um, you know, think different years. Um, Things start blooming sooner, mm. like the, the willow trees are already leafing out, um, which seems really early <laughs> for okay. this year. Um, but yeah, yeah. But I highly, highly recommend, you know, make a practice. Yeah. Um, just go out in your neighborhood to the same place every day and um, take a little kit and challenge yourself to find something. And then before you'll know it, you'll be like, oh, I want to sketch this and I want to sketch this. And you have this like list in your mind, like, oh, when I go back tomorrow, I'm going to sketch this, this berry and like try to figure out what this little berry is. Yeah. And, um, I love that. I yeah. love that. So I inter I feel like I interrupted what you were saying. Oh, no, no. It's good. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, and you have this amazingly simple way to put down impressions of nature on the paper and you call this nature spots and I want to hear all about nature spots you ran this amazing nature spots challenge in January and it was just helping people get outside and observe the colors around them and make a connection and I wonder if you can tell us about this really simple way of putting paint down in response to nature yes so Nature Spots, um, it was born when I was uh, camping in the high desert. Okay. And it was so beautiful, it was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So um, it was in the springtime and the cacti were blooming and um, the colors are just amazing. And it was this, there, we actually had some rain and there was fog mm -hmm. in the desert, which um, wow. it smells, it smells so good. And, um, but the, the fog, part of the sky had fog and part of it had um, uh, blue sky. And the silence was like so complete. The next closest campsite, it's like a backcountry um, campsite. So the next closest one was like a half mile away um, through really rugged terrain. So there wasn't, mm. you know, it was just like me and my husband was there and this amazing landscape. And I had the whole day in front of me that I could paint, but I was too overwhelmed. Like I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't even do it. And I had a little tiny sketchbook. I have one. I'm just holding this up. Yeah. So this is a little zigzag palette, a little zigzag sketchbook from Art Toolkit. Is that right? Yes. So it's a concertina book, very small, about the size of a, the palm of a hand. Yes. Even probably Small. smaller yeah. than that. And I had this little book with me. I just threw it in my pack. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to record the colors of mm. everything I mm, see. Mm, mm, mm. And these color spots would become the record of this experience of being out in this location at this special time. And so it's like sometimes before I would make little swatches on the side yes. of my sketchbook. Um, but this is like simplifying it even farther. So it's like the color spots are the book. Yes. Um, and this little size, you can, you know, 
you don't have to have this particular sketchbook that we're talking about. You can have, you can make it yourself. Yes. Um, you can just use little pieces of paper. Um, but I started doing this then and I, I've just loved this practice of mm -hmm. just focusing on the color because I'm, I'm a color nerd. Yes. <laughs> no better word. Like I love, um, when I'm hiking, I'll be like, I'll see, um, a flower and I'll be like, okay, if I was going to paint that, how do I mix that color? Like, yes, you your know mind's color mixing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're color <laughs> mixing in your mind. So this way you can just make a little color spot and, you know, if you're hiking with a group, you don't hold anyone up. Um, and I, I wrote this book called um, Nature Spots um, to try to get a wider audience for this practice because I would be out in um, like national parks and doing this on the trail. And so many people would, you know, people, as soon as you take out your brush yeah. and your sketchbook, everyone wants to know what you're doing. So they, <laughs> they, like, they look around and so many people said, oh, I think I could do that. Yes. Like, you know, it's not, I'm just making a spot of color. Um, I, I think I could do that. <laughs> so people yeah. would watch and I thought, okay, I'm going to write a book and, um, you know, try to get more people interested yeah. in it. And then as we talked about before, to get that feeling of joy. Yes. Because you do your spot of color and then even though it's just a spot, you really feel like you've made that connection and you know, you're in the zone and everything yeah. dropped away. So the nature spot challenge was a way to try to get people to, to just try it, you know, and sketching outside too. Yes. That was, um, one of the keys is that, um, you know, do it outside because you're paints behave differently mm -hmm. you hear the birds singing you feel the breeze like against your skin um it's a whole different experience it than is. doing it just at your desk um and uh, my husband even did the challenge with me fantastic uh, and he's he's another um engineer type like he <laughs> i don't think he really picked up a brush until we did the challenge like like he was probably in in grade school or something yeah, last time wow. he did this and did so he it was really, what was his feedback about it what did he feel yeah, i asked him what his feedback was and um he thought that uh his colors were too light okay um, because he so he his was like more about so what he didn't like about it was that like we used water brushes mm -hmm. and you know water brushes if you're not used to them since water is continuously coming out it, you know it dilutes your color so mm -hmm. he said i but overall he said so my colors were too light um but overall i really liked it yeah. and i asked him if he did like did he feel anything mm -hmm. like cuz you know back to like being about the feelings yeah and he he said that he did that is amazing. And so I mean, this, yeah, go on, go on. Oh, so here, here's this engineering guy <laughs> um, who's like, you know, he's not an art person at yeah. all. Yeah. And um, he really liked it. And he said it, it he felt like his um, stress mm. went down while mm. he was doing it. Um, so I was, I was so glad, so glad to hear that. And it was really fun doing it together too. At first, um, like I put together his own little kit for him. So he had mm -hmm. his own uh, little palette and book and everything. And at first he wanted to do everything on his own. Like he wanted to mix, he was like, don't tell me, don't tell me. I want to mix the green <laughs> or I want to mix, you know, that brown. But then after a while he would ask like, you know, well, what's your tips for mixing this color? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was really, it was really interesting, like, doing that. <laughs> and you ended up, uh, so people would post their color spots on Instagram um, and you had color spots coming in from all over the place and it must have been amazing to see people's landscapes reflected in these beautiful spots that they were, that they were sharing. 
Yes, it was so every day when I would look at it, I'm, I want to do the challenge again because yeah. like, so we did it in January. So, um, you know, some people had summer and some people had mm -hmm. um, winter. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we'll have to do it again um, in the summertime. So then it's reversed. It's reversed. So the yes. people who had the summer will yeah. have winter. Um, but it was just so cool, you know, thinking about this whole global community and looking through the nature spots because um, some people had a lot of like brown twigs mm -hmm. or they mm -hmm. would have like red berries or um, and people were talking about the colors of snow like you yeah, know well there's snow has so many different colors when you really stop yeah. and look at it closely it's not just white um, so it, it was just so it was just so fun I love yeah. that. I, I love doing this in nature journaling workshops, which is just to help people see, pick up anything, even a green leaf, and start to see that this isn't just green. This is green and yellow and orange and brown, and there's all these different dark and light colors that you can tune into. And just tuning into color is such an effective way of connecting, isn't it? Yes. And I think everyone sees color differently too mm -hmm. um you know you might be looking at uh even if you're both looking at the same leaf i always um like looking where the leaf um comes down and connects to mm. the stem mm. and usually that's like kind of a different color than out at the tip like yeah. the tip might be like a really fresh green and whereas the the part that's connecting a lot of times it will have some red in it mm -hmm. um so yeah and uh say so like my husband like going back to him he would say oh this color isn't exactly right and i'm like what are you talking about look right here yeah. there it oh, is cool i love that yeah and i wonder about your thoughts of color to connect you with your place and I, I've spoken about this in on the podcast before but I I feel really connected to the colors of Australia and particularly this part of Australia where I'm from and and so that includes like really dusky greens and browns and sort of um ochre colors and that sort of thing and that's the colors that light up my heart and for you, I'm thinking about prairie colors and and desert colors and the colors of your place that are unique to you. Yes, yeah, it's so true. And filling up, filling up a whole book of just the color spots, you can pick it up and you'll know. Oh, I was in Austin when I did this, or oh, yes. I was out in the desert when I did this one. Um, and learning to mix the colors. Well, if you're a color nerd, <laughs> learning to mix the colors is, um, it's the same thing. That's one of the reasons um, I really got, I was like, okay, I really need to learn how to mix that um, mm -hmm. desert, I call it desert green. Yeah. It's, um, it's kind of like a eucalyptus green, um, but it has a little more blue in it, usually. Yeah. And... Uh, it, it was so hard to like learn to mix that color. Tell me about your color mixing experience and where you, where did you go to find resources to learn to mix and how did that happen? How did you become um, so connected with this idea of color mixing? Well, I, I go back to John Muir Laws mm -hmm. again for that one. When he talked about how the primary colors are um, yellow cyan and magenta mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, my mind was like totally yeah. blown when he said that and i was like oh that's what i'm doing wrong all this time yes. it's not red and you know when you mix yellow and magenta and you get red like every time i do that i'm just like that is just the coolest it's unlearning thing. everything you learned in <laughs> primary school <isn't> it? <laughs> yes and um but you know it it's so true like I remember struggling to mix pink. Yeah. Like, I'm like, how do I mix pink? Like, I can't mix pink. Or but even it, it a never... bright purple. Mm -mm. Yeah, or a bright purple. And it never dawned on me until that lesson of his. Um, so, and, and, you know, I've um, 
when I've been teaching, people are skeptical at mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. People are always like, no, no, no. Red is the primary <laughs> and, and blue is the primary color. I'm like, watch this. Watch me <laughs> do a magic trick. Yeah. <laughs> and then you and then you mix it up and you can see them going like, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. And then they're like, well, what about oil paints or what about, you know, colored pencils? And I'm like, nope, it's the same. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same for any medium. And it is yeah. it is like a magic trick. I I like to do this thing when I'm talking about color mixing and in a workshop I'll I'll just look at the table or a leaf or anything that's around me. I'll just pick something up and say, I'll just mix this color and you just go bam, 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 and then you have the color and it is like people often exclaim like wow how, how how is that possible because when you know the theory behind it and you have done it a bunch of times it it comes really naturally just to to know a little bit of this it is like baking it is like cooking isn't it not so much baking because that's very exact but like a making a really good curry and adding spices and um bit of this bit of that and then and then it then the magic happens. I love that moment yes. when you match a color and you just you just got it. Yes, that moment. <laughs> and then taking it to the next level, I always like to show people too, if you put the complementary color next to that color mm. and how then both colors just seem to like vibrate and yes. like sing. Yes. And um, it, it's just so cool. Like, showing people color it really yes. is and I noticed that you work a lot with triads and I'd love for you to talk about working with triads and taking a simple um, triad out with you when you're in the field can you talk a little about triads and what that means yes so a triad you pick um, you know your three primary colors so you pick your cyan magenta and yellow and there's variations on all of these um, so you can have, um, you know, for your magenta, you can have it leaning more towards orange or leaning more towards um, uh, purple. So whether it has some blue in it or it has some yellow in it, your magenta. And um, so when, when you're really into color and you love color, triads are a great way to simplify your palette because when you're going backpacking or you're going hiking, you're not going to want to take, you know, your whole yes. 200 and yes. however many colors. <laughs> I was going through are. my tubes the other day thinking this is, this is crazy. It, yeah, you just <laughs> distill it down to what you actually need. Yes, yeah, so you distill it down to what you need. And um, I like to think about it, I like to think about it two ways. So if I'm going to the desert, um, I want to be able to mix that desert green. Mm. So I need to have um, a blue, the cyan, and the yellow so that I can easily mix my desert green. But if I'm visiting back where I grew up in Ohio, mm -hmm. that's a completely different green back in the forest. So that's like forest green yeah. and what you would have there. So, or like the color of the sky. It, it, as you know, with your skyscapitos mm -hmm. and everything, the skies can change. Um, you know, people think, oh, well, the sky is blue. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the morning, it, it looks one color. And if the, the temperature changes the, the color, too. So in the wintertime, the blues are different. Mm -hmm. um, so whenever I'm traveling or going hiking or taking a trip, I base the triad that I'm going to take in my palette on those two things. Mm -hmm. Like, so um, what blues am I going to need for the sky? And um, what am I going to need to mix green? But if you were, um, so the, the triad just helps you simplify uh, what colors to bring, but it, it can all be personalized. There's like, there's no right or wrong triad. It's just um, what your subject is. Um, so if you're more of a botanical painter and you want to paint this vibrant red flower, then you'll need to have, you know, your colors dialed in to be able to mix that. Yes. But just simplifying your palette down to just these few colors, 
you get to know each individual pigment um, because pigments all have their own personality. Like they, they, there are, some of them are shy. Some of them like phthalo blue, blue. I always tell people it's like the bully color. Like, <laughs> that color will totally take over. Um, not that it's a bad color. That's just, you that's just, just have its to be nature. Subtle. Yeah. You have to be sparing with it, don't you? Otherwise yeah. it overwhelms everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, and different brand, uh, different brands have different characteristics too, don't they? Yeah, yeah, I, I so heard just, you speaking about um, the brand Greenleaf and Blueberry and how their all their colors are really deliciously granulating and and they have a, their own specific characteristics. Yes, so I mean it's endless, right? You can keep exploring yeah. color and find um, what you like, um, but it, it's worth it to, you know, think about these triads. Um, so that you can figure out, okay, what's my starting point? Yeah, you can swatch out the triads before you go on your trip so that you can see all the different possible mixes. Yes, yeah. And you might decide, well, I don't want to mix brown all mm -hmm. the time. Like brown's a handy color to, mm -hmm. you don't want to have to, you know, fiddle with mixing all three colors to make your brown. So you might decide, well, on my palette, I'm going to also include a brown. Or like I know in the desert, um, having like a yellow ochre color um, or a raw sienna, like that mm -hmm. kind of color. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, I can mix it, but it's so much easier to just have it there. So then you start fine tuning um, your palette for where your, your, your palette of place as like you and Maria both say from Art Toolkit. Yeah. I really, I think, I think of it like this, um, when you're learning to, uh, use a camera, you can switch it to manual mode and on manual mode, you have to choose all the different settings for aperture and, um, shutter speed and ISO and all those little details. And it's a really good exercise to to do that to know how it's how to go about getting the right settings. And I feel like mixing from a from just a triad is like that. It's like being on manual mode in your camera. And then uh, often photographers photographers will use um, a setting where the camera chooses the aperture or the camera chooses the the shutter speed, and it's it's just a shortcut. But you already know how. Um, how and why the camera is doing that and so that when you have these convenience colors like a brown or whatever it might be in your palette it's it's a bit like that using the aperture priority setting on your camera if that makes sense <laughs> yes exactly exactly <laughs> and i i always think of it too as um like the 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 all these different colors that are available to us. I just, I feel so lucky, you know, mm, mm. we have this huge selection of colors that we can play with our whole life and, and find enjoyment. Um, but it, it's kind of like with your camera analogy, it's also like music. So these are the different notes that mm. you can press and then to make the, the, the music that you want to play and hear. And it's the same with these pigments, like you're pressing the phthalo blue. So you get this really vibrant mm. blue, but you yes. only press it for a little bit. Yes. <laughs> like, you know, yes. if you have a keyboard of color, you only press the phthalo blue for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, absolutely. Yeah. So you are an ambassador for Art Toolkit and you obviously love art supplies Let's talk about your favorite tools. Um, I think we share a fa uh, a favorite sketchbook uh, for me, and I, I know for you, it it takes a while to find the perfect sketchbook, doesn't it? But um, the one that you wrote about on your blog is definitely my favorite, which is the Travelog sketchbook that has really good um, paper that's just the right texture and just the right um, just the right qualities for sketching outdoors. Let's talk about your favorite tools. Yeah, so it would have to be, I mean, I started using Art Toolkit like way before I became an ambassador. Mm -hmm. um, and that that has to be one of my favorite, favorite tools of all time because yes. it, you can take it with you anywhere. Um, and like going back to all the times I painted at the pond in the neighborhood, 
um, it, it was just so great. Like I could, I had like a little, um, fanny pack mm-hmm. and I could just put it in there. It took up no room at all. So let's describe the art toolkit for those who don't know about it. It's very, uh, they have a range of different things, but they uh, have a pocket palette, which is very t- teeny tiny, the size of, uh, a business card, really? Yes. And a even a demi palette, which is half that size. Let's talk about a bit more about the pocket palette and the art toolkit. Yeah. So I have I have them scattered around everywhere, and they have a, <laughs> a bigger size um, that I keep on my desk. So on my desk is the folio palette, and mm-hmm. um, it's um, not it's not twice as big as the pocket palette, but uh, okay. I'm looking at it yep, now. Yep. Yep. It's probably about six six inches. Palm size, maybe or a bit bigger. Yeah, so palm size. Mm-hmm. Um, when I do the nature spots, mm-hmm. I love the little tiny demi palette mm-hmm. because I have a little pouch that I put on my backpack strap, and that plus my little um, zigzag book and a water brush, they just all fit right in there, yes. and I could just take it out and do my nature spot. Um, and then the pocket palette, you know, is like the middle, the mm-hmm. uh, middle one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have several of those set up for different places that I like to go. So I have one that's set up for the desert. Um, one that I think of is kind of like, I can paint anything with this one, but it yes. might not be exactly what I mm-hmm. want. So, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, so th- those are the two main pocket palettes I have. And then I do have one with um, green leaf blueberry mm-hmm. um, paints that I save just for special uh, occasions. <laughs> um, so I have, um, every year I paint acorns in a little book, in a little sketchbook. Oh, wow. Um, and I use my green leaf blueberry um, uh, palette for that. Because uh, the colors are just so rich. Yes. Do you find granulating colors are good for a desert environment? Yes. Yes. And especially um, letting the granulation represent swaths of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the prairie too. Um, like the texture that the granulation gives um, can represent like the mountains, like the desert mountains or the desert floor. Um just let the granulation do the work. Mm-hmm. Don't, as John Muir Laws always says, you know, don't try to paint every um, blade of grass. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. so the, the granulating color takes care of that for you. So granulating color is when some of the actual pigment doesn't mix in with the, the rest of, with the water. So in, in essence, you're getting little, little chunks of, of the material on your page so it it can look like textures of the rock or even if you're painting a beach scene it can look like grains of sand it's a beautiful effect some people love it and some people don't depending on what your subject is yes yeah and one thing I should say so so that the listeners know um, the one mistake I see students uh, doing with wrong with granulating colors um, is that they'll get too fussy and Mm. they'll go back and forth try to so I used to it. yeah I used to not like using granulating colors in skies because um it would just turn into like a streaky mm-hmm. mess and mm-hmm. no matter what you did it was just all blah. <laughs> <laughs> so um but now I've learned to really love like using ultramarine blue in yeah. the sky in a, you know the hot summer desert sky it's like ultramarine blue yeah and but what you do is you just make your swash of color and then you know let it be mm-hmm, don't mm-hmm. um keep going back and forth and you'll see the the colors will just settle out and look beautiful yeah this yeah, is so, another another part of the magic of watercolor isn't it yes yeah yeah so it, it's just like learning um when to use granulating colors, mm-hmm. when to use um, like the, the transparent colors as opposed to the granulating colors, those are good for layering. Mm. So back to the desert again, you know, if you're um, painting um, and your brush strokes are drying as fast as you make them, 
um, <laughs> having a transparent color is really nice because yes. you can layer one color over top of the dry, the next dry layer and build things up. So it's just all your place and your subject matter. And becoming familiar, I think, with with watercolor. And you can do that. Both of us have just swatches and swatches and um, <laughs> different play that we've done with color. And I think it's about getting to know your colors. And I, this is something I, I used to struggle with color mixing before I learned a little of the theory. And it was just a trial and error. And sometimes I got it and sometimes I didn't. But the very best way to um, come to the point of feeling comfortable and confident with color, I think, is just to swatch everything you've got and make triads and make color wheels and just see what they can do. I have this book um, that is just for color experiments and you can go back over it and I've written what I was doing, what I was playing with, and just that, that time spent with your watercolors helps you come to a place of ease with them doesn't it yes yes it really does and um along with that one thing i always tell people is um to do your swatches on the paper that you're going to be mm -hmm. using mm -hmm. for your project um because sketchbook paper can be different um than you know i like to use um i'm going to like some people say arsh Arch or arches. I say arches, but it, I don't know how it's. <laughs> yeah, I think it's arch. actually supposed to be arch. It's French. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, so if you're going to be using that paper, do your swatches on there because um, the granulation will be really different based on um, your paper that you're yes. using. And if you're a beginner, like you're tempted to get like student grade paper, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it can be so hard to use student grade paper <laughs> when yes. you're a beginner. So just, um, I like to get the giant sheets mm -hmm. of the Arsha's paper and you can um, fold it or tear it down to size. Um, and I, I don't have one here to show, like hold up and show you, but you can make a whole sketchbook of really good paper and use the front and back yes. for, I think the paper is now in the U.S. I think it's like $8. Mm -hmm. So imagine having, you know, a really good paper sketchbook for $8. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you just can't beat it. So a lot of times I, I love using Arsh. But I love I love experimenting with different sketchbooks too. I've um, recently started playing with the I know I'm going to say this wrong too. The Hannah Mule, mm -hmm. Hannah Mule. I know I'll say. I, it I don't wrong. know. I'm not going to try. <laughs> but they Mule, have I, I have 100 percent mm -hmm. cotton paper. So that's been one of my um, recent uh, art supplies that I've been really experimenting with. Granulating colors seem to show up really well on it. Yeah, it's really it's a really nice paper. Yeah, I I agree that good paper makes watercolor an entirely different experience than student paper. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so, I know that art's been part of your life, but I'm thinking about nature journaling in particular and documenting things in nature, and I'm wondering how nature journaling came into your life. Yeah, so um just uh, taking the time to make observations um, has really brought me joy and given me, it's like a sense of accomplishment when you um, do the same thing every day for a while. Um, so when I was in um, middle school, I made my own barometer out of a, a jar and a popped balloon you pop the balloon yeah. and then you spread it uh you you um uh, put the balloon over the mouth of the jar the and then use a rubber band or string to tie it on and then you glue a straw to the uh, middle of the balloon and just put a piece of paper on a like on a wall and the straw will move up and down um 
depending on the barometric pressure changes. Wow. So it was so cool. And so one summer I, um, I kept track of all the different cloud types that I saw and the barometric pressure and the temperature. <laughs> and, um, Hang on a minute. You've been nature journaling for since you were in middle school. Yeah. So that, I mean, I didn't know at the time, but just being curious and I don't even remember what possessed me to do this. Um, but, uh, it was, it was, I think about that sometimes and, um, how that was really, I think my first, first start, it was such a feeling of accomplishment. Like I started it, um, at the beginning of summer break. And then when school was back in session, um, I had this whole, you know, record of the summer. I love that you've been doing this all those years and, and this happens to people. I think that they have this experience of nature journaling without knowing that it had a name or a whole community behind it. And then suddenly uh, when, when you grow up, you, you understand, oh yeah, this is, this is a thing with a name and, and other people do it. And there are other people who love nature in the same way as I do. Yes. Yeah. Well, that is something that I just wanted to take a moment to say that, you know, the nature journaling community and, you know, just the art community in general, um, Mm. I feel that we all learn from each other and um, it's just so great being a part of this. So when I had the Nature Spots Challenge, and people were posting from all around the world, it makes you feel that the world is really a smaller place and we're all connected and in this together. And um, it just really lifts you up and it makes you feel a part of something bigger. Yeah, I agree. There's something really special about this community and, and that, I mean, there's a lot of heart in this community, I would say, and a lot of gentleness and kindness and um, sharing. There's so, so much willingness just to share ideas and inspiration and um, that love, that that feeling. What is it going back to that feeling you talked about? Um, that feeling of of connection and oneness, and just like a like a movement in the soul that you feel when you're out there, and and to have a community that recognizes that and and celebrates that together is something else something special yes it really is i'm so i'm so thankful for the community yeah Mm -hmm. i was gonna ask you about your perpetual nature journal is that something you'd like to talk about oh yes so i um i had been uh thinking about doing a perpetual uh journal for a long time um yeah one one year I sketched every day for a year and I filled up so many sketchbooks. Um, I, I, I lost track of how many sketchbooks I filled up. And <laughs> that's so, a big mission. <laughs> yes. So the, the perpetual journal was really appealing because, um, I'm, I'm using two of the Hannah Molay, um, hundred mm-hmm. percent cotton books because I didn't have enough pages in just the one. Mm-hmm. Um, but this way, you can, uh, you know, just have two books and just do a little something once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll have a record of what you were seeing and observing each week for years. Um, I think, uh, yeah. So just a reminder for anyone who hasn't heard of this concept, it was desi- it was developed by Lara Gastinger and she, uh, so the idea is that you put you have one page for each week of the year and you return to that page at the same time each year. So Lara had um, one book that lasted 15 or 16 years, I think. So you're essentially developing um, uh, an idea of what goes on at that time of year in that place where you are. So it's this very simple practice because you just put one little thing down and you're you're thinking in terms of, years or even decades so you don't have to stress over filling a page just put a little something down and it's it's very accessible isn't it yes it's, it's a beautiful practice and um mm-hmm. i'm mm-hmm. i'm really excited for it too because um 
we we just converted a van um, to a camper and mm -hmm. we're going to be traveling around the country to different places um, so it'll be really interesting i know that laura says to do the same place in in your perpetual mm -hmm. journal mm -hmm. But I am so going a backyard to be, or a local environment. Yeah, but I'm going to be a rebel, and I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to do where wherever I am um, yeah. in our camper van. I'm going to do yeah. um, that week, and I think it'll be really nice. interesting to look back um, over the years and say, "Oh, this year I was in California, and yes, this year, absolutely. yeah, and this year I was in Maine or, or wherever I'll be." And uh, then it becomes a story of your your adventures as well not just your local area but a story of how you've spent your time over the years yes yeah yeah so I'm really looking forward to filling it up it's hard not to just like fill up uh yeah. everything now there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a wonderful wonderful thing I uh, I look forward to seeing how that unfolds <laughs> yes yeah Lisa, it has been absolutely amazing to talk to you. I feel just so excited. I want to go out and um, make some nature spots in my garden right now. And um, I just appreciate you being here and sharing your inspiration and all these beautiful tips and tricks for connecting with nature through watercolor. Thank you again for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Lisa. There are so many things that I loved about this chat and about Lisa's story. The story of how she went out every day to watercolour beside the pond when she was recovering from all those surgeries, slowly developing as an artist and connecting with the landscape at the same time as her body was healing. That was so inspiring. Also, the joy she finds in watercolour and colour mixing is something that really lights me up to hear about. And the colour spots, what a wonderfully simple way to connect with the natural world. Please go to the show notes to find Lisa's website and Instagram and see her vibrantly colourful nature journal pages. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week. Mm -hmm.